This is Rob Thompson. You're listening to Sports Stream Job Show. All right, Bill, thank you for taking the time out, moving the call back an hour for my convenience. Thank you. I appreciate you being on. <laughs> Absolutely, Rob. Thanks for having me. I had to throw that in there because my day was kind of crazy today. <laughs> so let's jump right into this. Sure. And, you know, I, we obviously had a little time to talk beforehand, and I could have gone on for the next three hours, but I didn't want you to have to repeat yourself. <laughs> So let's, this is about you. This is about your story, your journey, how you got to this point. Um, take it back. Take it. Let's go back. If you even want to start at your radio days. Sure. Um, and uh, kind of let's, uh, let's, let's hear the journey. Well, I think it's important that people hear the radio days because there was no way I could see anything but myself becoming the next Larry Lujak. <laughs> And for those who don't know who he is, for the 70s and probably 60s, 70s, early part of the 80s, uh, he was the number one disc jockey on WLS AM 89 in Chicago, uh, back when there was Top 40 Radio. And I really felt as though that was my destiny. There was no way anything was going to stop me from becoming the next Larry Lujak. And so I got my first class, uh, third class radio operator's license at age 16, which made me one of the youngest licensed radio broadcasters in the state of Illinois which you actually had to have a license to be on the air at that time. And so that was really kind of my dream. So I sat in bed, you know, with the wooden spoon, pretending I was the DJ introducing records back and forth and figuring it all out. So I actually got my chance to be on the air uh, at a very early age at a station called WBYG, which was 99.9 in Kankakee, Illinois, my hometown. Wonderful. Uh, now, WBYG was a 50,000-watt FM station an hour south of Chicago. So this thing was a blowtorch. Yeah. And it was at a time where it was put up where people really didn't understand the value of FM. And so it was able to be placed near Chicago, whereas today you could never, ever put a station that close to Chicago and not filter into the city. And so this signal just went everywhere in among uh, the Chicago area, Northwest Indiana, all the way down to central Illinois. And it was pirate rock and roll. The best, and you got to choose your own music if you were a DJ from a, a set list of you know, hundreds of albums, but you could choose it. So it's like your own stereo for five hours. Wow. So I'm loving life. I'm on the air. I actually got to do some morning drive at about 18 years old for people that were on vacation and such. I, it was the best summer job ever. And so I'm rolling along and I'm just literally thinking this is what I'm going to do. Well, at age 21, I figured out where the money was and it wasn't on the air. It was in the sales department because there was, I was graduating from college. They did not have a full-time on-air position for me once I graduated. And so they said, hey, what'd you like to be in the sales department? Well, I didn't really want to be in the sales department, but I had been kind of an entrepreneur through my high school and college days. I had a custom t-shirt business on my campus at my school, St. Joseph's College in Rensselaer, Indiana, uh, RIP. Uh, this college is no more, but it was a fabulous place for me to go to school. And, you know, with a small Catholic college like that, that you could kind of become an entrepreneur pretty easily. No one did custom t-shirts in Rensselaer, Indiana. Not even, there was not even a sporting goods store that could put a name on the back of a t-shirt in 1982. <laughs> and so I started my own college dorm business printing t-shirts for the intramural sports teams. By the time I left, I counted it up. 
there were an average of 2.4 of my shirts in every single drawer on campus. Wow. So I had kind of had the entrepreneur bug at an early age, but I never expected it to help in the radio business. So I guess the first life lesson in this whole thing is everything you do can somehow cumulatively end up helping you be what you eventually want to be. And you're never, ever really fully developed. Even at age 40 or 50 or 60, you're not fully developed. So I, I said, sure, I'll go ahead and take that sales job. Uh, and so they paid me, I think, $120 a week uh, to go 30 miles north of our hometown into the south suburbs of Chicago, which had never been sold by the radio station. So I was going to places like Matson and University Park and some other places for those who know those suburbs. And for the first time, I was pioneering the sales of airtime on our radio station in that area. And so I don't know what I'm doing. I got great training from my sales manager, Kathy Galliano, who is still there to this day. God bless her for having the patience with me. <laughs> and so she, I went around with her for a few days and then she uh, said, okay, here you go. And so <laughs> uh, foolishly, what I did on the phone, I watched her run around like a mad woman. And I said, you know, this is a lot of work. I said, I think I'm just going to use the telephone. And so my first phone call was to a, a fairly well-known restaurant in Frankfurt, Illinois, called Enrico's Restaurant. It was a very good Italian place. And uh, the owner, uh, Harry Diercoli, was kind of a crusty Italian guy uh, who was a heart of gold, but he really liked to scold people when they did something wrong. Well. He happened to pick up the phone in the back when he was picking out a vegetable delivery or something. And I, I happened to be the guy to call. And I said, hi, I'm Bill Gertie from WBYG. Blah, 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 blah. And he said, you're calling from a radio station and you're not seeing me in person. And he, for five minutes, he reamed me out on the phone saying, everybody who sells to me comes and sees me in person. How dare you be lazy like this? If you want to sell, you're going to come in here, but you're not going to sell me, young man. Get yourself a life. Get your, and on and on. Five minutes, I swear. Wow. I hung up the phone. I was shaking. <clears throat> and I, don't, I honestly don't know what I did the rest of the day. I was in shock. And what I decided to do at that point was, well, I better take his advice. I better go see some people. And it's a darn good thing I did because in seven months, I was billing anywhere between 25 and 30% of the radio station's revenue at that time because I went belly to belly to people and built relationships face to face. Mm -hmm. And I have Harry to thank. And he eventually had a chance to meet me and I got to meet him and we actually became friends and he was on the radio station eventually. So it worked out well. Oh. Uh, but that's where it really all began. And so for 25 years, uh, I was in the sales department of the radio station. I started as a young salesperson and then uh, into sales manager and then uh, was at two or three different radio stations, some in Joliet, uh, was actually a part owner of a station for a time. And, uh, and so that's kind of my radio career. And then the last 10 years of that was with another FM AM combo here in my hometown of Kankakee, Illinois, uh, where I shared it with just an amazing career with a, a general manager by the name of Gary Wright. He and I are best of friends today. And we had a fantastic staff. Uh, and I so enjoyed that, that part of my career. So that was the first 40 years of my career working. Where have you seen radio change? Oh, what hasn't changed in radio? Yeah. Uh, you know, the challenge radio has had all along has been to make sure that it was relevant enough for people to tune in and to use the 
the privilege that it had to be in people's cars and be everywhere people are. Mm -hmm. And I think what ended up happening is that with all the syndicated programs and the things that made, uh, made radio cheaper to produce, we lost our ability to be local. And many of the local newscasts and local uh, announcers and things that made it special to that market and that's town uh, really went away. And I'm so sorry that that has happened. I, I think that local markets that are served by truly local stations uh, are fantastic. And, and I think uh, are probably underappreciated for the people that uh, enjoy that and listen to that programming today, because what's on today is fairly homogenized and, and not local one bit. If you grew up in the 60s, 70s, and 80s in any time, then local disc jockeys, the jocks, the on-air talent, they were the heroes. So I, I 100% agree with you. Heroes growing up. That's right. And in many ways, especially in our small town, the radio stations were where you got all of your information. If there was yeah. a snow closing for schools, yeah. uh, any kind of tornado sirens went on, you turn on the radio. I mean, it was where everywhere we go. The, uh, the station that I worked at for the last 10 years, WKAN, uh, AM 1320 was called your information station. And people would call us all the time saying, hey, what's, uh, our cable is out. Why is our cable out? <laughs> uh, and they say, what time is the Thanksgiving parade this year? And you know things like that. And our receptionist, I'll never forget this, receptionist was so crabby about people calling. Why don't they just do, you know, find out and call the right people? Right. I said, what are you talking about? This is exactly what we want people to do. We told them that we are your information station. Right. And they believed us. <laughs> so they, they think we know everything. And it was such a fabulous time to be in broadcast media, especially radio at the time. And it really was the advent of the iPod when that came onto the scene that I saw radio becoming less relevant to those who listened. And it was at that time that I decided I need to find something that I can pour myself into as I have in radio that I can become more relevant. And that's when I looked into public speaking and training as a new career. So you completely reinvented yourself. I did. And it was scary, but what I was able to do was do it kind of in the basement, if you will. I was able to continue to work at the radio station while I was reinventing myself. Uh, I was fortunate enough to find, as I was really getting involved in uh, figuring out what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a published author. I had a list. It was a short list. It was a published author. I wanted to work in sports and a couple of other things that I wanted. I wanted to run my own business. And I had no idea how I was going to put all those together. But that's what I wanted to do. And I was so enamored with authorship. I would attend uh, each year a meeting of the publishing industry called Book Expo America. For the longest time, it always met in Chicago. And now it moves around the country. But this is where authors go and publishers go and the bookstores go to all meet each other and talk about what's coming in the book industry. And so me being a book junkie, they had all kinds of samples. And so I literally would bring a suitcase with me and collect all the samples for books for a, a whole year. It was amazing. The greatest. Well, <laughs> I started to get smarter and I said, you know, I'm going to be a publisher to some of these authors and really find out how they did it. And so I was still working at the radio station at the time. And so I wore one of the polo shirts that had the radio station's logo on it of mine I had, stole the Super Scope uh, tape recorder from the newsroom for a Saturday. They would never miss it. 
And so I went up to the show and I interviewed dozens of authors in their booths at the show. And I had six or seven questions prepared. What's your book about? How did you go to write it? What was the story behind it? You know, the th kinds of things that if you were into publicity that you would ask. And then the final question I asked is the one I really wanted an answer to. And it was, what advice would you give to an unagented, unpublished author in today's marketplace? And everybody talked to me because that's why they were there. They wanted BDI. I had a radio station shirt on. I had a, a tape recorder. I must be official. And so I was a fake news guy going around to all of these people recording them. And I got almost the exact same answer on that final question from everyone. What, what advice would they give to an unagented, unpublished author in today's market? And the answer was this. Don't give up. Don't give up. There were stories that I heard of people that had submitted their manuscripts five times, 15 times, 50 times to be published, and they'd been turned down all of those other times, but that one that happened made all the difference. And it was because of those interviews that I decided that I needed to do that, and that I did. That's great. So no, great the, the, I guess the, the, uh, another lesson in all this for everyone listening is don't give up. If you have a dream that you want fulfilled, go talk to those people who are living it and find out from them how they did it. Just like this show. That's just exactly right. That's why, Rob, your show is just fantastic. It's a medium for others to find out what others had done to get to where they would like to be. So I commend you for the title and for the, the project. I just find it so interesting What's because because everybody has a different path. You know, your path is you know, you're, you're an icon in the sports industry for, for, for training, you know, and for sales training within, you know, the, the major sports leagues and, you know, it's, but you didn't start off that way. Well, you you're know? very kind. And I, I, it was a lot of work to be able to get to that point. And, and I, what I was able to do at that point where I became a published author is I had trained quite a few salespeople in my time. And I knew that the kind of sales training that I was doing could be relevant in just about any kind of industry. But I really wanted to find one that I could be passionate about, that I could really sink my teeth into. And so I began as a speaker doing customer service seminars. And for those who have been speakers before, if you're just starting out, and Rob, we had a chance to talk about that a little bit, about mm -hmm. you perhaps doing some speaking and kind of getting into the whole business. Mm -hmm. uh, the National Speakers Association is one that I highly recommend. I've been a, a member for a dozen years now. It has been the single best thing I have ever done to learn the art and profession of speaking. And one of the things I was told very often, very, one of the first people I talked to was Mark Victor Hansen, who is the multi-million selling book author of Chicken Soup for the Soul, that whole series of books. Mm -hmm. And Mark told me, speak for free until you no longer have to speak for free. And so I did a lot of that. I was uh, asking chambers of commerce if they needed a customer service trainer. Somebody would say, well, do you do team building? I said, oh, yeah, I do team building. Uh, do you do it? Oh, yeah, I do that. So I was this generalist who was kind of speaking on stuff that I kind of knew some things about. And that's the formula in speaking is keep speaking until you find that bliss, that sweet spot that you are very, very good at. But don't charge for it until you actually have a product that you'd be proud to represent. And so I was giving all kinds of those. And, and one in particular was on the south suburbs of Chicago doing a customer service seminar just before the Masters was coming to Cog Hill, or Cog Hill, to um, 
the U.S. Open, I'm sorry, not the Masters, the U.S. Open was coming to the course at Olympia Fields. And they were, the Chamber of Commerce was putting on a customer service seminar for those people who were coming to town just to make sure that they didn't screw them away. And so I had given that train. There's probably 50 or 60 people in the room. And I get done, and, and a gentleman came up from the back of the room, had a White Sox jacket on. And I thought, oh, that's cool. He's a fan. And so I said, hi. So he shakes my hand. He says, hi, my name is Tom Sheridan. I'm the director of ticket sales at the Chicago White Sox. And he hands me his card and he says, you know, we could really use a guy with energy and enthusiasm like you to train my ticket sales staff. He says, you know, there are guys like you that travel around the country and train ticket sales staff. And I literally froze. And it's, you know, one of those where your head just explodes. Yeah. And it's that aha kind of moment that happens. You say, I had no idea. Right. <laughs> and so I took, uh, I took Tom's card lovingly placed it in a place that I would not lose it. And for the next six months, uh, spent uh, a futile time trying to re-engage with Tom Sheridan. Six months I left, I don't know how many messages and no response. And I'm thinking, well, okay, there's my dream. It's there and it's gone and I don't have it any longer. Well, <laughs> I was very fortunate to get a call from Tom's counterpart at the Chicago Bulls who said, Tom tells me that you're doing training and that you're pretty good. We have had uh, we, we have need for a trainer at our place for a three-day sales seminar for our new people. Uh, would you like to put in a proposal? And one of the smartest things I ever said on this thing, Rob, I said, well, would you mind telling me what your budget is? Mm -hmm. And he told me a number. It was really low, but it was a start, right? And so I said, well, I could do it for that. I said, you could? So yeah, I said, okay, you're hired. And I hung up the phone and I said, holy crap, what do I do now? <laughs> right. And so there's a, a phrase, maybe you've heard it before, jump and the net will appear. Right, yeah. And so that's literally what I did. So I was given some material from the Bulls to add to this because they wanted to be sure to put their words into it. Uh, and so I took all of the information that I had learned and gained and known from training my radio salespeople and combined it with the information that I got from the Bulls, and I created a three-day intense sales training seminar for the very first time. And on the second floor of the United Center, where we trained, uh, you can see the Jordan statue on the outside. I mean, I'm living the dream. And uh, so we got done with the three days, and it was great. Well, uh, because I was kind of unsanctioned at the time, I really wasn't allowed to tell people I was training for the Chicago Bulls. So I was able to do that for about two, three years in a row. And I was so fortunate that the Bulls allowed me that I was invited uh, at the behest of the Bulls to present to all of the VPs of sales in year three of my relationship with them at the NBA job fair that was being held in Chicago. They wanted to audition three new sales trainers and give them an hour apiece in front of all these vice presidents. So of course there's 75 VPs of sales in the room from the NBA, no pressure, right? Wow. And you know, it's one of those moments that you have in your life that you say, you, you don't really realize how important this is gonna be until after it gets done. Right. And so I got in that room and I knocked it out and I was smoking hot. And I did some role play stuff, brought a couple of people up front. I had no idea who they were. And they kind of laughed because apparently they were pretty important guys. And I had some fun with them. And half a dozen people came up to me afterwards and said, here's my card. Talk to me. 
And that was the start of my career. And now I am so fortunate to say that after a day, 100 individual teams with most every major sports league in North America. And, and that is the humble beginnings of that. Amazing. What a great story. What a great story. And it's, and I, got, I have to say this, Rob, because I so firmly believe this. I'm no different or any more special than anyone listening right now. I have a gift and I will say, uh, you know, I got a good set of pipes. Thank you, God. I so appreciate that. But it was dogged determination knowing that I wasn't quite sure what the outcome was going to be, but I was going to work darn hard to get there and knowing who to talk to and continuing forward that really led me to where I am today. And I know that many of you out there are not quite sure what direction you're headed, but go in a direction and feel your dreams might land. And it's, you never know what the road will lead to. Just put your best foot forward every single time. There was no way in 1983, when I graduated from St. Joseph's College, that I would know I would be even close to doing what I'm doing today. It didn't exist at that time. And for many people that will be looking at things 10, 15 years from now, many of those careers don't exist today. Move in the direction of your dreams. And it will find you. How important is self-awareness? To know what you're capable of and what you're not capable of is important. And I will say this, that there are some people that could work their whole lives trying to be a concert pianist and not be very good on the piano. And to work that long and that hard to not have the, the raw material to be able to do that would be a, a mistake. I think, you know, rather than just blindly going in that direction, I think you do need to have a self-awareness and a self-assessment of what it is that you do well. Not necessarily better than anyone, but just well. And then begin to develop that and to, to recognize what it is within you that is special, unique, or different, or that you can add to the world that others would feel good about incorporating into their own lives that would not detract from them, that would make them better. And I do think that's important, Rob. I'm glad you mentioned that because knowing what you do have as far as raw materials is important to start that journey. I think when you get older, older, sometimes sometimes you have this you have kind of reflect kind of everybody reflect, talks about everybody just come you have this come come to Jesus just you know conversation with conversation with yourself you can't lie about you can't it when lie you about it when you look at yourself in the mirror and, and I think self awareness self awareness played a huge part in in my life in defining how that happened but it happened earlier on I think because I got because I married when I was twenty three three and I couldn't hide from who I was who I was. I, and I find a lot, of, I find kids a lot of kids who are coming, who are coming out, of out of school and entry level positions, entry level positions are, have this have unrealistic, unrealistic expectations. expectations. And I think a lot of that has to do with not knowing who they really are and what they're going to Yeah, I, I think that's probably true. And I, I think some of the young adults that are now coming in uh, may not have the necessary life skills or have the necessary experience at certain things to be really good at, at this. One of the real challenges we're finding with no, new people coming into the sales world, particularly in sports, because it's so heavily involved in communication and phone skills, is that people have not spent a lot of time up until that stage in their lives on the phones. <laughs> right. Now, now I, don't mean, I don't mean on the phones because people are on the phones all the time. I mean speaking on the phone. 
And that, that foundational communication tool is something that if you're going to be in sales, you're going to use a lot. And if you don't particularly care to be on the phones very often or don't, are not very good at it or can't put a real sentence or two together in an email to a prospective client, uh, there's a real disconnect there. So, you know, you talk about the, the fundamentals that you need to be pretty good at. Well, English reading and writing skills and, and fundamentally communicating in front of people, either that or, in, or on the phones, is one of those prerequisites that if you're going to be a pretty good salesperson, you better have. That's kind of important. That's kind of important. Well, but, I, but at times, it's overlooked. Right. And you think, oh, it'd be great to have, because here's the challenge. Don't get into sports simply because you want your name next to a logo on a business card. Mm -hmm. The real challenge I would have to each of you listening is, what do you want to accomplish that card? Don't, don't strive and work hard as you can to get the business card and then just decide you're going to put your feet up on the desk. So you have, talk, once you get it, it's the beginning, not the end. Let's. Let, I'm sorry to interrupt you on that one, but not at all. You're good. We're we're, we're this is dialogue. We're all right with that. <laughs> so, what, talk about skills. Talk about skill sets that you look at, or what teams are looking for right now, and how you know the picking up the phone and calling somebody because it's hard to get anybody on the phone right now. You know, where do you stand on social selling? Social selling. And, um, and um, what's happening in the what's happening right in the marketplace right now? We have the, this is a seismic shift, as you are well aware, Rob. The the way in which people communicate today is far different, and the sports industry is slowly coming to the realization that social selling must be part of the mix of a young salesperson's day. Yep, there has to be some sort of a portion of the day assigned to especially LinkedIn and sometimes Facebook, sometimes Twitter, not as much, but to have some sort of regimen to communicate with people via social media is important. Now, here's my differentiating factor with that. You cannot spend time on social media just reaching out to people and doing what others do on social media. And you're not supposed to sell on social media. I strongly advocate against selling in the broadest term. Social media should be used, in my opinion, to shorten the length of time that it takes to get a face-to-face -face conversation with someone or telephone if you have to. To be able to introduce yourself in such a way that it shortens that amount of time between first introduction and first meeting, either by phone or in person. Very rarely, and you hear stories all the time of people, oh, you know, somebody bought four floor seats and they've never met them before. They were on LinkedIn and it was amazing. Yes, that happens. And my guess is it will begin to happen a little bit more, but you cannot, as a sales rep in this industry, rely on that as a way to get out of talking to people. Mm -hmm. You must use it as a tool to maintain, to start and to move forward effective conversation. And the only way in which you're going to converse effectively eventually is face-to-face -face or voice-to-voice. Or -voice. And so you can't get out of this whole communication piece that we talked about earlier. Social media is awesome, and it's going to be around for a very long time, but it has to be used in the right way. And for those of you who have seen people try to sell on LinkedIn, the moment they connect with you, you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. It's very true. What what are you seeing now with the teams as far as entry level positions? Are you seeing mainly in sales and 
and slash social media? Social media. Well, roughly half the jobs that are available in any sport or with any team are going to be in the sales department. So it's a logical first step to take a look at. I would not recommend starting that if you don't plan on at least giving it your best shot. Some of the challenges that I hear in the interviews are saying, well, you know, I'm going to do sales for about six months, but I really want to do marketing. And the problem with that is that those people who take a chance on you in sales are going to have a half-hearted marketing person really at the desk rather than somebody who really wants to succeed. A better plan in your head would be to succeed at selling in the best way you possibly can and from there decide where your career is going to go. Many people who start in sales and want to do marketing perhaps and find that sales is really kind of interesting go on to do great things in the sales department. But don't take somebody else's desk in the sales department because you really want to be the team photographer. Do the very best you can at sales and then find out where that leads you. Because managers are the biggest bane of our existence in the sales world in sports is hiring people that are wrong for the job and only finding out after the fact that they are wrong. And so that the those are, and there's some criteria that they use in, in looking for those best people. And if you'd like, I can share a few of those with you. Absolutely. Please do. Please do. Well, the biggest thing that people want is attitude. A positive attitude, something that is unshakable and that you have difficulty with. You know, if you're the person that everybody says, how can you be so darn happy all the time? Or that person that says, man, do you ever have a bad day? That's the guy I want to hire. Right. Or the person that is so diligent, that worked all the way through school, that is one of the best athletes because they worked at the gym twice as hard as anybody else. That's the person I want to hire because that's what, in fact, we have a name for them on the, te- on the staff. They're called grinders. They're the people that aren't necessarily flashy, but they just get the job done day after day after day. And they pound the phones and they do what's necessary and they don't talk a whole lot. They don't, they're not really big socializers. But boy, they can get a lot of work done, and they're very, very successful at it. Uh, those are the kinds of people right now. Those are the two archetypes, if you will, those avatars of the people that we're really looking for in the sales department. And it is becoming more difficult to find those right people because not everybody wants to be in sales. They want to do something else because they don't somehow feel sales is sexy or somehow rewarding enough to be able to go where they want to go. And I would beg to differ because I believe that anything you choose to do, even if sports sales is not your thing after six months or a year, anything you choose to do is going to involve some degree of salesmanship to succeed at it. Mm -hmm. If you want to be a sports agent, you're going to have to sell your ability to be able to represent that person who is an athlete. You're going to have to sell that athlete's ability to some sports team. And so there's all kinds of sales. Pick a, a topic anywhere that you have. Any kind of, of profession requires you to be adept at some form of sales. And so it, it's a great place, I believe, to begin to get a career or to get a, a skill set, sales, that can serve you for the rest of your life. I love that. And, love and, even, and I, I don't even know if we talked about it, but I sold radio for a long time as well. Time as well. We and did the, not. And the, no, I did. Uh, we'll I talk did. about we'll it after the call. Because this is about you. But <laughs> the, the, moment the moment I realized that I was helping I was someone else's business, business, and I truly believed I was, that was a crossover for selling. 
And, oh, and I man. found that as, as I hired people, hired people you know, for my career, for my it was career. the same kind of characteristics. Kind of character. If you truly believe you in the product, the product you're, you're adding value, adding to, their value life, to their life or their business, or their business yep. it, is, it was an easier sell. Yep. Absolutely. One of the tenets that I use in my training is that we don't sell sports. We sell what happens to people as a result of a sporting event. Yeah. You do not have to be a fan of the sport you represent. Many, many people have jumped onto the soccer, soccer bandwagon fan in sports. Because, not because they're big soccer fans, but because they understand how impactful soccer can be in the lives of those who are in the stands. If you're only joining a team because you love that sport, this is what managers hate. They hate people coming up to them and spewing on about, oh, I've been a fan of the Cleveland Browns since I was six years old and I would love to work for you. Because, uh, right. If you're a big fan, buy season tickets. Right. Right. We don't need you on the sales team. Buy season tickets. We'd love to sell you. Uh, what we want to find people are, is in love with the opportunity to hook people up with a lifetime experience of experiences with a sports team that they could really enjoy all year long as a season ticket member or whatever it is that they're selling. That's what we want to find people who are, that are in love with, in love with relationship building and being able to help others find that perfect thing for them that would really that would enhance their life in some way, whether at home, at work, or whether they're not for profit or whoever they're selling to. So what's what's next for you? What's next for you? I mean, I know you're I know you're traveling all over the world, um, enlightening people's lives. What's next? Next. Well, I'm excited because uh, without giving away too much information, I've uh, I, one of the things that I've been consistently aware of is that when I go to a team to train for three or four days at a time, and I'm blessed to have been going there so many times doing this with so many people, that everybody's really jacked when I leave. They love it. They say, oh, this is great, Bill. We're all, we got lots of tools. Can't wait to get on the phones. But then depending on you know the leadership and how much they want to stick to what I leave with them, eventually that energy wanes over time. And so I have joined forces with two powerhouses within the sports industry and education to create a, a fantastic product that is going to be the definitive tool to be able to onboard and train uh, in a way that is uh, duplicable and is automated 12 months out of the year rather than just three or four days at a time. It's going to streamline and automate the sales uh, training, the sales onboarding, and then also the eventual sales uh, recruitment. And I couldn't be more excited about that. And, and uh, we will have a, a couple of announcements here very, very soon because we're doing some beta testing right now. And uh, perhaps we could do this again, Rob, and I can uh, do a whole, whole entire different bio on what we're going to do next. Oh, that would be fantastic. I would love to do that. Thank you. Well, thank you, well, sir. Thank you, sir. It's, a, it's, a, it's great, uh, to, hear it's your great story. to hear your story. Far you have come from that crazy Italian Harry and Harry Illinois, Illinois. Oh, you didn't go see him. Go see him. So, so congratulations, congratulations on your career. Well, thank you very much, Rob. It was an honor to be on the program, and I hope that I was able to help uh, uh, at least one individual that's listening to that. That would have made this all worthwhile. Uh, I'm sure you have. And how do people uh, reach out to you and get a hold of you? I would love to have them do that. If you'd like to reach out to me, I am at Bill at the 800 pound gorilla.com it's t-h-e-800 p-o-u-n-d gorilla.com and uh, i will answer every one of your emails personally i love it well thank you again thank sir you for, being again, on. for being it's, on uh, uh, it's, uh, it's a, 
it's been way too long. I know Ruby would know like Ruby to tell you that like she was on before you were. Before so. you were so. Oh, yeah. She's, she's a trendsetter. I just follow her. <laughs> I'm her number one fan, so it works out well. Uh, me too. Uh, me, me too. too. And and now I'm glad I was, able to, was, able, to was, was able to connect with you. But just hold on a second. Hold on and I'm a just second. Say goodbye. And goodbye thank you again for being thank on. Thank you again for being on. You bet. All right. Hold on. All right, sir. Thanks, sir. Outstanding. I, I got an that echo was fun. on my side. Did you get it? You know, it uh, there were twice, two times where you kind of switched a, I don't know what it was, maybe a monitor on your side or whatever, where I got just a little bit of echo for just a few seconds, but not very long. Oh, okay, good. So, so uh, Radio Disney, I worked there for 10 years. Really? Out of which market? Oh, I'm losing you now. What, is that me or you? No, that's me. No, that's, that's the same me. echo. Okay. Hold on. You know what? So let, uh, let, me just, let me give you a call on the phone. Call on the phone. Oh, good. That'd be fine. Thanks. All right. Hold on. Do I have your number? Have your number. Eight one five. Five four. It's okay. Eight one five. One five. Yep. Five four nine. Yep. Yep. Ninety one thirty four. Perfect. I'm calling you now. I'm calling you now. Very good. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Sports Dream Job Show. You can find more content on robthompsonlive.com. Thanks again for listening. See you soon.